You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, we're glad that you're all here this morning. Uh, So uh, this is my second time speaking here at Grace Community Church. The topic that we are talking about today is divorce. This may be the last time that I speak at Grace. (laughs) Uh, This is not an easy topic. It really isn't. And you might be saying, okay, well, why why are we talking on this? One is because scripture does, but number two is that I just want to show you something here. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and that is how many people here has divorce directly have impacted your life in some way, shape, or form where it is either you or it's close family members or close friends or something, but it's, it's hit you pretty close and you've been impacted by it. Raise your hand. Put your hand up. Hold it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. If you look around, it is almost 100%. Is that almost every person here has been significantly impacted by the issue of divorce. Scripture has to say some significant things about that. We want to look at some of those. Uh, but the reality is, is that a lot of people are going to be very uncomfortable. And it's going to be hard for you. Uh, we get that. We understand that. It has hit so close to you that there are deep wounds, deep pains, um, some real struggles. We're not trying to make it difficult for you. We're not wanting to put you in pain. But we do want to deal with an issue in the healthiest way that we possibly can that is affecting so many people. So as we dive into it today, um, we're going to be taking a look at how do we deal with this in the best we can, way we possibly can. How do we keep from going there? But even if we get there, what do we do when we are there? Before we dive into the, the word and we take a look at the passage, I want you to watch a video here that I think speaks well to this issue and the impact that it's having, how we need to think well. Watch this video. Disney movies and chick flicks, they've put us in a weird position. They've distorted our reality because we forget they're actually fiction. Because in marriage, we either get better or bitter either joy or remorses. What we're doing isn't working. Just look at the rate of divorces. So how's your marriage? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Marriage seems to sound more like a prison than the paradise they were promised. We thought marriage was supposed to fulfill us and make us happy, not lonely. But the truth is God's first priority is making you holy. You say, no one told me. It feels so odd that dating feels like a vacation while marriage feels like a job. Yet the secret of joy, if we just pull back the facade, is realizing most problems arise when we elevate our spouse to God. Without knowing it, we fulfilled Romans 1, 25. By our actions, exchange the truth about God for a lie. We've exchanged God for lesser created things. It's like a husband trading his wife for a 2D image on a screen. Hoping it'll set us free just to find on the fumes we're choking. Because if your marriage rests on anything but Jesus, it's resting in something broken. Yet guys continually sacrifice their marriage on the altar of sex and lust. I mean, if our dollars were honest, they'd stay in pleasure, we trust. So men, grow up. Put down the controller. How about you lead her with grace instead of trying to control her? Now, I've never been married, but I'm a product of one that was non-existent. So don't tell me I don't understand the pain. Don't tell me I don't get it. So for the singles, 
Become friends first before you ever become lovers. Pursue Jesus as your foundation before you get under the covers. Because believe me, a strong friendship before marriage will make a good marriage after. Marriage isn't just sex, it's conversation and laughter. I mean, some spouses barely even like each other, and the marriage seems like a dead end. You might share a checkbook and a house, but are you actually friends? I mean, if marriage isn't a commitment, then what's the point of the vows we say? Till death do us part, really means until the feelings go away. Like, I'll stay with him, but only until it gets tough and my love shifts. But I say, imagine if a parent took that perspective with their kids. Like, can't you see it? The minute the kid spills something on the floor, the mom's saying, forget it. I don't even love you anymore. No, it's just like marriage. To last, you need the strength from above. Because it's not the love that sustains the promise. It's the promise that sustains the love. I mean, think about it. Out of anyone who's actually had the right to leave, God had every reason in the world that he still came for you and me. And on the cross, he paid it all, took our shame and set us free. When he could have called down legions of angels, he chose to stay on that tree. From the cross, he looks you in the eye and says, I'm taking this for my bride. When you trust in me, you no longer have to hide. Because of me, it is finished. You've been made new. You're spotless, you're blameless. There's no sin in you. Because his death was a proposal. He wanted you no matter the cost. Where some guys proposed on a knee, Jesus proposed on a cross. So read Ephesians 5, whether husband or wife. Wife, honor your husband. Husbands, give up your life. Just like Jesus gave himself up for his bride, the church. So men lead by serving, by putting her first. So die to self, put your flesh on a life sentence. Because you don't fall out of love as much as you fall out of repentance. Sex, marriage, fairy tales. Unfortunately, too much in our culture, we fall into believing too much of the fairy tales and how life, how marriage is supposed to actually be. What I'd like to do is to move away from the fairy tales to the real life, real marriage, real joy that God wants us to truly experience. And yet the reality is, is that so many of us we're not experiencing that. We're struggling. We're having a difficult time. So as we look to dive into this, I want to begin with this. First is I want to look at what is Jesus' heart towards you and your marriage. Because if you don't understand Christ's heart for you, if you don't understand what he really wants to see happen in you and in your life and marriage and family, then you're going to miss it when he says some things about that. So... <clears throat> kind of go with me here for a moment, all right? Jesus. Good guy, bad guy. Wow, that was weak. <laughs> Let's try that again. Jesus. Good guy, bad guy. Good guy. Good guy, really good guy. Really good guy. Hmm. So Jesus is a great guy. In fact, in getting ready for this, I took and went online and looked to see uh, polls that have been done of the greatest and most influential, most respected people of all times. I looked at four different ones of those. Do you know where Jesus was in regards to those polls? What was he? Number one, except one of them was number two. But he's, all, he's number one in almost all of those. So here is Jesus an incredible guy in history that the world looks at with great awe and amazement and says this guy was an incredible guy 
But the reality is, he said some really, really hard things. He said some tough things to swallow. But his love for you should be what you go to and what you hang on to and what you really want to see in, in the midst of everything that he's trying to do in you, teach you, encourage you to live out, see his love for you. John three sixteen for God so loved you and the world that he gave his only son. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you may have life, you may have it abundantly. Genesis 1 and 2, God talks about creating man, and then he creates man and woman. He brings them together in unity, and he says that oneness that he has created, that Christ was a part of, that unity that he was trying to create is to be so glorious, so incredible, that when people would look at it, they would see the reflection of the glory of God. Wow! That's incredible. And that's what he wanted marriage to be. That's how much he loves you. That's what he wants for you. God designed and he defines marriage. We don't. This culture doesn't. Jay, last week, he said this, the biblical pattern of marriage and family is the most satisfying, fulfilling, joyful way to live. Now, you need to understand where I'm coming from as I step into this topic of divorce. You see, I come from a family situation. My father, he was career military. We moved a lot. My mom and dad, they got married. My dad was 27. My mom was 15. They had to get married because he got her pregnant. He would have been court-martialed if they hadn't got married. They get married. My dad had been married once before, and that gal had taken off on him and left him with a baby. That baby was then five years old. My mom then, living in California, they moved They moved to Idaho, and now they're living in Idaho where he was a recruiter, and now she is 16 years old with a newborn and a five-year-old. Two months after they moved there, this gal that she met and got to be friends with on the base says, oh, last night I saw your husband at the movie with another gal. We moved to a bunch of different places. When I was uh, seven years old, we were living in Germany. And my father got the babysitter pregnant. My mom and dad stayed together for 25 years. How my mom stayed with him for that period of time, I don't know. I mean, really, she is a saint. She's unbelievable. But you see, when I'm talking about hurt and pain and suffering and difficulties in marriage and the crushing, destructive nature of those kinds of relationships and the divorce that comes out of that, I am not talking in theory. This is as real to me as anything. So as I step into this, please, I understand the pain, the struggles, the difficulties, the agony that many of you are in, in the midst of those marriages. The tough things that we have to deal with. Well, I want to transition and then begin to talk. Okay, so what does Jesus, what does the Bible have to say about divorce? Now, like I told you, Jesus said some pretty amazing, radical statements. He said things like, I'm God. <laughs> you haven't had too many people in your life tell you that, have you? Hey, how you doing? I'm God. <laughs> Didn't think he'd look like this, did you? <laughs> 
But he then turns and goes and says, okay, that um, uh, I am the way, the one and only way. I am the truth, the one and only truth. And I am the life, the one and only life. And you can't get to God except through me. You can't get to heaven apart from me. Wow. He said crazy things like, you know, don't hate your enemy, love your enemy. And if somebody asks for your shirt, give them your coat also. Whoa, this is just radically different stuff. But you want to talk about radical different stuff that ends up being said Jesus's comments that he makes about divorce are pretty radical. So, what is Jesus? What's his view of divorce? He's really not for it. Would somebody like to close in prayer? <laughs> Didn't think you would. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus first talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He's going to come back to it here uh, in Matthew 19, and we're at verse 3. Here's the religious leaders again, Pharisees. They're the well-studied, well-educated. They're coming to Jesus, trying to put him in spot, trying to get him into a box so they can catch him and they can try to discredit him. But here they come to him and say, okay, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Because there was a whole sect group of the Jewish leaders that that's what they taught, that you could just basically say, I just don't like you anymore. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Done, gone, finished. So they're saying, okay, can you divorce for any reason, whatever? And he says this. He answered, have you not read? Now stop right there. Have you not read? He's saying to the most highly biblically educated, literate group of people that there was at that point. And he says to them, haven't you read? What's wrong with you guys? And he says uh, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, for this cause, what's the cause? It's for the glory of God, to honor God, to glorify God. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one. One flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Which he's referring to, Moses got fed up with the way guys were treating their wives, and they were just saying, Get out of here, you're gone, no reasons, whatever. He said, You had to have the reason, you had to substantiate the reasons, and then you had to actually give a certificate of divorce so she wasn't just thrown out of the street with, you know, like she ran off, she took off, she took, no, this guy put her away, here's the reasons why, certificate of divorce. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Wow. That's pretty heavy duty. Jesus is not real high on divorce. Now, let me tell you where I'm going to go, what I'm not going to do, and what I am going to do. What I am not going to do is I'm not going to go back and take all the scripture verses that deal with uh, marriage, divorce, remarriage issues. There are passages that are in Genesis, and uh, uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Malachi, uh, Matthew, Mark, 1 Corinthians. There are passages that deal with all those. Three years ago, Gary Brashears did a, a sermon on all this, and he did a great job, and we encourage you to go back and listen to that one where he unpacks some of those a little bit more. 
Our position paper that we have, Jay just referred to it, but our position paper is back there in the back. You can pick up the position paper. It's going to unpack some of that a little bit more. Also, Gary worked with a group of guys uh, a while back uh, that put together a, a position paper on this that's uh, 123 pages long, I think it is. And uh, we could get that link for you so you could get that and you could read that while you're trying to go to sleep at night. It'll, get you, it'll make you go to sleep really well. But if you want to dig into all of those, that's fine. You can go there. I am not going to go that direction today. What I am going to do is I want to take a look at Christ's heart for marriage, how he feels about divorce, but I want to talk and say, all right, how do you get started right in the first place so you don't go there? But what if you're on that path? What if you're heading that direction? What do you do? And then if you're already there, if you're already divorced, what do you do? That's where I want to go. I want to go back to this passage again, though, in Matthew 19, and I want to look at this and just say, all right, look at what Jesus is saying about marriage and divorce, and just catch the big picture here. Don't dig into the minutiae to get the big picture. So he said, haven't you read, he who created them made them male and female. This is coming out of Genesis 1 and 2. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two but one what therefore God put put together let no man separate he has a very very high view of marriage that this is absolutely incredible and he is very low on divorce and that which can destroy that marriage if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm not going to go there and actually read the thing, he says almost exactly the same thing in Matthew chapter 5. But after he says it, um, the disciples, here was their response to what he said. They, they were so shocked that they stopped and they went, wow, um, if that's the way marriage is supposed to be, maybe it would be better that you never get married. Now, did you get that? Here's the guys who were there with him and in the moment, and he says these things. He says them so strong, they go, wow, this is like way up there. Maybe it would be better not to get married if you're going to have that kind of standard for it. And what was Jesus' response? He ended up saying, some can handle it, some can't, and he walked away. What he didn't say was, oh, no, you guys misunderstood me. Now, you, you didn't kind of, oh, no, wait a minute, let me just temper this. Let me, let me kind of water this down a little bit. He didn't do that. Now, I want you to get this, is that if somebody is here and they're looking to get married, and if they don't see marriage as this high, incredible, amazing thing that God has created for them, for their good, and for his glory, but also to understand that this is hard work it will probably be the hardest thing that you ever do in your whole life but it can also be the greatest thing the the greatest joy the greatest meaning greatest it could be awesome because god designed marriage so that that together would reflect his glory to people here Now, I, I, I fully understand that even as I share those things right there, there are people here who are already divorced. And, and there's, there, it's, it, it's hard. It's, there's pain. 
there's difficulties because that's the kind of thing that you wanted to see. You knew it was hard, you knew it was difficult, but you've experienced a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty. And again, we're not trying to cause the pain for you, but we do want to look at Christ's picture of marriage and his desire, what he wants to see happen. So if you somebody here looking to get married if there's somebody here or that you know somebody is headed that direction it's really healthy for you to help them see the biblical view of marriage and how great how high how lofty that is and it is hard work but if you take those passages that gary unpacked before and looked at all all of those what you will end up seeing is and he even stated that that point was what ends up then leading to people getting divorced is things that are mentioned there, which is number, number one, hardness of heart, and second is adultery and sexual immorality. Those are the things that end up devastating and destroying this marriage. That hardness of heart is many times reflected in abuse and abandonment. Abuse and there's all kinds of abuse that can take place that's pretty destructive and devastating. There's physical abuse. There's relational, emotional, verbal abuse that takes place. And this is way too common. And it's way too common in marriages in the church. Just last week, I was ending up talking to an older gal who's struggling in her marriage. Doesn't go to this church. Struggling in her marriage... And her husband is verbally abusive to her. And here's what she said. Now, this isn't right, but this is what she said. I just wish he would hit me. It would be easier to take. You see, because those damaging words that are so difficult. Hmm. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Is it true? It's a lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can destroy me. There's not a person here who can't think back on their life and somebody said something to you somewhere along the line. They said it in a hurtful, spiteful way and you remember it to this day. And especially in a marriage. So, do I understand the pain in marriage when there's abuse, when there's abandonment, when there is destructive, uh, there's a destructive bent in that whole relationship? Yes, I get it. I understand. I saw it. I lived with it. I know what some of you live with. I understand that pain. But God calls us, Christ calls us to a high calling in our relationship with each other. He doesn't want to see things go towards ending in divorce. Divorce is never God's heart. Divorce is never God's desire. It is never God's best. There's always so much sin that is involved in that whole process. He doesn't want us to go that way. So, what's the best solution? The best solution is to begin well. Let's get started well in the first place. And I want to start with this, and that is, how about if we... <laughs> How about if we destroy, blow up, get rid of the fairy tale ideas about marriage? Because I believe that we believing in those fairy tale ideas of what marriage is supposed to all be about is what is destroying marriages. We have this 
concept, this idea of what it's all supposed to be like. We never get there. We never even get close to that. And then it's blowing us apart because it's, we're not there. And you know what one of the biggest fairy tales is? That I am going to go out and I'm going to find my soulmate. I, I could read you research studies that have shown this, shown this. And they go, this is one of the most destructive concepts and ideas that's been bought into our buyer society. That you go out and you find your soulmate. Somehow, some way, you're out there, it's at school, or it's at work, or it's on the internet. Whatever it is, you find this person, you come together, you guys get together, and all of a sudden... And there it is. This is this relationship that's unbelievably, unbelievably ma- magical. We fall in love, and then we live happily ever after. <laughs> you know, there is a place. There is a place where everything is always wonderful, and that it is a constant fairy tale in Southern California, but nobody lives there. That's not real life. No, you don't, you don't find this soulmate. Yeah, you find somebody that you click with, somebody that you get along with, you like being with, but here's the reality. Marriage is hard. It's hard work. You've got you to work at it. It's going to be the toughest thing that you've ever done. And then throw some kids into the mix. <laughs> Marriage is hard. Marriage is tough. And you don't fall in love. That, again, is just this incredibly destructive idea that you just fall in love and it just all clicks. No, you may fall into lust. Uh, you, You may fall into infatuation. But no, love, biblical love, is a commitment. Jay, last week, gave the definition say marriage what we're talking about is one man one woman in a covenant committed relationship done publicly for a lifetime that's what god calls us to that's christ's picture of the of of marriage and what it's supposed to be like so how do I get started in marriage if if you if you know someone that's moving that direction get rid of the fairy tales and grab onto the real picture of what Christ wants it to be like. Then, take your time. Please. Time's your best friend. Take your time. Think it through. Get wise counsel. Read some really good books and material. Get some men- Go find a mentor couple that you look at their life and you go, that's what I want to be like. Have them hang out with you. Have them spend time with you. Have them invest in you. Have them read a great book with you on marriage. Have them invest in you. You take your time. And do not fall in the trap to think, if we are in love, it's just all going to mystically, magically work. Because it doesn't. You've got to work at it. You've got to invest. You've got to work hard at it. But you know what? For those that are looking towards getting married... You want to divorce-proof your marriage? How's that? You want to do it? Let me tell you how I can do that. How can you divorce-proof your marriage? Research study done by Christopher Ellison at the University of Texas, San Antonio. It was reported in the Journal of Marriage and Family. Here's what his research showed. Couples that pray together and go to church together and read the Bible together have a divorce rate of... One 
out of 1,156. Now, yeah, but have you seen that in the newspaper? Have you seen that written anywhere? Couples that pray together stay together. Why? It's because it is a centering. It's a synergy of of you together coming together and centering your life on the things that are most important. Does it make life just, you know, magical, fairy land, fairy tale? No, it's still hard work. But those couples stay together because they're focused on the stuff that's most important. But let me give you the follow-up statistic that they found after that, which is just crushing. Here's what it is. Unfortunately, not many Christian couples pray together. It is 4%. 4%. What is wrong with us? I'm serious. What is wrong with us? We say when I give my life to Christ that Christ is king of my life and that God's word is the guiding principles of my life and yet we as couples, we never pray together and we never read the Bible together. And we want to know why is this all crumbling around us? But you want to divorce-proof your marriage? There it is. It's because I'm centering on the right stuff. And it's allowing me to have his strength, his power, his purpose, his ideas of marriage and what it's like and to be able to work through the difficult, difficult times. Get this. Every marriage, every marriage has summers and winters. It has the highs and lows. You see, here's the thing is that so many of us, what we like is I just like, I'd like my whole marriage to be a summer. (laughs) There are places in the world where it is summer all the time. Do you know what they call those places? Deserts. (laughs) Is that really where you want to live? No, you need all of those. We need all of the seasons. We need the ups and downs. It's just the way it is. Now, I'm going to pick on the men here for just a moment. Men, as you're looking toward getting married or you're newly married... Again, all the research shows this to be very, very true, is that when men step up and in a healthy, caring, loving way, realizing we all make mistakes, realizing we all screw up, we all blow it, but they take the initiative to love and to lead in their family, those marriages go well. Especially guys who will lead in the areas of spiritual life. But the reality is, again, research showing that the uh, average American male today and the uh, average American male in the church today has become very passive. And they don't step up and lead in a healthy way. And so they're not leading. How is this gal going to follow? And I'll give you one example here. And this is something that a guy beat on me with. All the things I'm sharing with you, I I had one guy who every time I saw him, he'd just stop and go, hey, you praying with your wife? Every time. I mean, I just got so irritated with, just shut up. (laughs) He was right. I still remember that echoing. But there was another guy that told me uh, uh, that he just said, look, here's the deal. I'm working all day. I'm just buried with all this stuff. I'm heading home. And here's my default that I click into is, oh, I can go home and I can relax. I can just kind of check out here for a while. And he goes, worst thing you could do. 
You see, because no man will ever rise above the opinion that his wife and kids have of him. And if he's going to need to get it done where he's on, it's when he walks in that door. So right now, my youngest daughter is staying with us. She has two kids, a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. And, and that's a joy. Her husband is uh, deployed in Afghanistan. And so this guy had shared this with me a number of years ago. I was doing this. I have had to reinitiate this even to a greater degree. And here's the deal. When I drive home, going to my house, there's a fire station. When I pass that fire station, I take all my work stuff and I dump it there. And then the next, whatever it is, four blocks that I go, I'm driving there. Here's what I'm saying. I'm doing this currently now. And I'm going, okay, now I'm on. I'm on. I'm on. Okay, I'm on. And I walk through the door, and that little three-year-old comes running, and it's, Papa, 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 can we go swimming? <laughs> and she goes, Papa, Papa, can, you pl- can we play horsey? Now, do you see the issue here? If I walk in and go, not now, not now, not, oh, gosh, I'm just I'm tired. Come on, come on, just give me some time here. And I got to go just do something else. I missed the moment. I'm missing the moment with my wife. I've got to understand, when I walk in that door, I'm on. This is it. Knock it out of the park. So, you want to start well? I've given you just a few things to start well. Start well. But, what if you, what if you're in a position where it seems like there's no hope? First thing I do want to do is just say this. Please, if you are in a, an abusive situation and you are in danger, please, please, please go talk to somebody as soon as you possibly can, and we need to get you safe. So do not stay there. There are women all around us who are sitting in situations where it is abusive, it is destructive, it is terrible, and they're staying there. Please, Go talk to somebody. You've got to get safe. You've got to get into another situation. So we help you work through a kind of a separation, figure things out. We've got to say, okay, now let's work toward restoration, and that's what we're, God's always after. God is always, always, always wants us to move toward restoration. How do we fix this? How do we pull this all together? So if you're in that abusive situation, get help. Get it quick. By the way, let me just say this. Um, if you, in your marriage, if things start to turn and go, uh, you know, a little sour and everything, you know, our greatest frustration in ministry is people wait too long. If they would come to us way back here, there's a lot more that we could do. But they come to us way down here, and they're right on the edge of the cliff, and it is very difficult then to turn things around. But we could turn it around way back here. So don't wait. Come and talk to us soon. That's one of the healthiest things that that couples can do is get into marriage mentoring. Go to a family life weekend to remember marriage conference. Get some good books. Read some good books. Don't wait. Get some good stuff. But also, do not fall for the lie that divorce will make you happy. That divorce will make everything better. It doesn't work that way. John Gottman John Gottman is a, has a research institute up in Seattle, probably the largest, best-known uh, marriage family research uh, uh, group in the world. 
Uh, John Gottman, uh, along with another research study, which I'm not going to read to you right now, but these two, Gottman took a, a, a group of 200 uh, couples that were looking at getting married. So you have 100 here, 100 here. This cu- group couples, they decided that they were both uh, all looking at getting divorced. This group, they decided to get divorced. This group of 100 that were thinking about getting divorced decided not to get divorced. Five years later, they go back and ask them and say, are you now happy? This group that got divorced overwhelmingly said, no, they were not happier. This group over here that stayed together and chose to work on the marriage five years later overwhelmingly said, yes, they were happier. Research study that was done by another, the University of Texas showed that two-thirds of the couples that stayed together five years later said they were happier. Many of them said, much happier. So if we determine and say, no, we're going to work this through, and both partners are willing to say, I, I got my junk, I've messed up, I've blown it, and, they, and there's a process that they would go through, and they want to get help, and they work on this, the chances are they can do really well down the road. Please, I understand the very difficult situations that some of you are in. I get that. Because right now, there's lots of people going, well, what about? What if? What if? What about? What about? But both parties need to decide that they will do it God's way and not their way. They begin to pray. They go to church regularly together. They begin to read their Bible, even three minutes a day that they read their Bible together. So, in God's strength, choose to respond well. Here's what I see people do over and over, is that I see this, you know, in the relationship, usually one of them is creating a lot more problems than the other one and to varying degrees but this person they're doing things they shouldn't be doing and there's sin that's there and you come in and you try to talk to them and here's what they'll do they'll diminish deflect defend and denigrate diminish what i'm doing is not as bad as you're making it out to be it's really not that bad come on you just back off diminish deflect it's not my fault it's her fault it's his fault it's their fault defend well if you just knew the whole story then you wouldn't be getting on me like this and denigrate if you hold them to it and say no what you're doing is wrong then they will badmouth you and you're the jerk you're the bad guy that is so common we see that over and over and over and over again what's a healthy response a healthy response is falling on your face before god there is brokenness, there is repentance, there is a move towards getting wise counsel and choosing to go God's direction instead of your own. That's a healthy response. That's where you want to go. So, what we need to be after is true reconciliation and not superficial coping. some of you are sitting here right now and you're just going wow that seems like that's a lot of work that's hard i'm not sure i want to put in that much work if you always do what you've always done you always get what you always got you see i could easily i was handed a legacy of adultery abuse alcoholism 
abandonment that was my legacy that's what i was handed go talk to all the counselors out there they'll tell you that the odds were very high i would do exactly the same thing but somewhere along the line i had to look at it and say it's got to stop here it's got to change i cannot use all the excuses and if i'm going to make it i'm going to work as hard as i can in god's strength in god's power god's way to do this the best that i can am i a jerk absolutely talk to my kids <laughs> do i blow it do i screw up yes i've said things done things that oh but my wife my kids know there's a dad who's trying to do it the best he can and he's trying to do it in god's strength and god's power and when you do that god does great things well so what if you what do you do if you're already divorced and i'm gonna have to wrap this one up real fast but what do you do if you're already divorced first thing is this i want to speak to the church church you church somebody walks in here they're divorced and maybe they had the weight of sin was heavier on their side maybe they blew it they did a lot of things wrong maybe they weren't so much on that side what is to be your response well you go to john chapter 8 jesus pharisees bring this woman caught her in adultery throw her on the ground jesus is there they said moses says that we should stone her what do you say he bends down he writes we don't know what he was writing maybe he was writing sins that all of these guys had committed he's writing and he stands up and says okay any one of you who has no sin throw the first stone they'll leave he then picks her up and says where are your accusers she goes they've all left he says therefore i don't condemn you either but go and don't sin anymore now two things that you need to understand here's how jesus responded to her he loved her he was committed to her he's going to die for her but he did not diminish the sin it was sin it was wrong what she did he didn't diminish that but he said i am not going to condemn you if jesus does not condemn her neither should the church if that person walks into this church and they are condemned by this church it is not a jesus church we are to love them we are to come alongside them, believe in them, be committed to them, but we are to speak truth and grace into their life. If they still have sin they need to deal with, if there hasn't been brokenness, if they have not had repentance, if they're not willing to move toward restoration, we need to speak into that. But I'm going to love you, I'm going to believe in you, and be committed to you. If they were more of the victim in, there, in the middle of everything, then let's really hang on to them and let's believe in them, let's love them. So church, be Jesus to them. Now, if you have come through the divorce, here's what you need to hold on to. You need to believe the truth that Jesus says about you. You're divorced. Does Jesus hate you? Does Jesus like you less? Is Jesus less committed to you? Does Jesus jesus's purposes and his direction his, his his power is that all now it doesn't work in your life no of course it does 
but we don't believe it. You need to believe what Jesus says about you is true. Church, we need to come alongside and keep helping them believe that and look at the transforming power of Jesus. But stay in the church. Let the church come alongside and help you. And then listen to wise counsel. Please listen to wise counsel. It, the hard, somebody asked me one time, what's the hardest thing in ministry? You know what the hardest thing is? It's watching really, really good people go and have people speak wise counsel into their life and then choose to go and do the exact opposite and watch the devastation. And then later have to try to help pick them up. Let me close with this. Um, just a few years ago, I was speaking in Baltimore, did a marriage conference. I get the, done with the conference. Everybody's gone. It's six o'clock. Uh, I'm going to go out to dinner with the other speaker because I'm flying home the next day. Go down the lobby. As I'm standing there, this guy walks up and he says, hey, Bob, great conference. Thanks. I appreciated that, which is unusual because usually everybody's gone. So I was like, oh, well, great. Hey, you know, where are you from? And that kind of stuff. He started to tell me just a little bit and he stops and he goes, uh, you know what? I need to tell you my story. I said, okay. And he says, well, I wasn't here for the conference. I said, really? He goes, Yeah my wife and I, which she's not my wife because we've been divorced for three years. He said, my wife and I, we live in Arizona. We came out to Baltimore because our daughter lives here and we wanted to see the grandkids. I, we were staying in the same room just to save money, but we really can't stand each other. So <clears throat> they're in the same room. And he says, I had a problem with my room. I went down to the front desk to tell them about the problem. They go, oh, are you here with the marriage conference? And he goes, no, what is that? So, well, it's in the ballroom right over there. And he says, can I go listen? I, go, yeah, I guess so. He walks over. Fortunately, he walks in the back door. He's standing next to one of the guys that's helping run the conference. Goes in. He's standing there. I happen to be speaking. He listens for a little while. He goes upstairs. At the break, right after that, he goes up to his wife, to the room, and says, you got to come hear this. Came back down, and they decided to sit through the conference the whole next day. They actually sat through the entire conference. On Saturday morning, when we present to them how to be a follower of Jesus, they both gave their lives to Jesus. They've been divorced for three years. God gave a spark of hope there. I mean, they couldn't stand each other. Couldn't just, they gave their lives to Jesus. They then went back home. They, the next week, decided to get together and meet and say, something happened to us there. They talked and found out because we had told them there was another marriage conference in Phoenix three months later. They went to it. God radically changed, and he called me a year later after they were remarried. Now they're on the city team that helps run the marriage conferences. He called me a year later, called me up and said, we went to that conference. We heard things we had never heard before. We saw things we just didn't understand what marriage was all about, and we didn't understand the power, the strength that we could have to see it change. Men and women, I'm not trying to paint a fairy tale here. I know the pain. I know the difficult. I know the struggles. But when we choose to allow God to work in us and through us, what can happen is incredible. Get started right. If you're heading down the wrong path, stop. Get help as soon as you can. If you've already gone off the cliff, we're going to love you. We're going to believe in you. Let's help make it together the best that it possibly can be. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, 
visit us online at gracecc.net.